You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 75 for Monday the 7th of August 2017. My guest on today's show is James P. Sumner, who writes a series of action thrillers about a former soldier-turned-hitman named Adrian Hell. He's worked in every type of office environment that you can think of. Insurance, banking, mobile phones, telesales, you name it, he's probably done it. But in July 2013, James began work on his first novel and eventually self-published his debut thriller, True Conviction, on Amazon, where it's now been downloaded over 300,000 times. He's a member of the Crime Writers Association and saw his fifth novel, A Necessary Kill, selected as a winner in the 2015 Kindle Scout program, winning him a publishing contract with one of Amazon's imprints. When I spoke to James for the podcast, I began by asking him why it took him until his latest 2013, until he started writing. To be honest, it was probably uh, my level or lack thereof of maturity. Um, it was something I've always wanted to do, something I, I've, I've dreamed of doing ever since I was a little kid. But I never quite had it in me to the discipline and the maturity to actually sit down and take it seriously. Um for years, I always had this romantic notion of, you know, you sit in the coffee shop with your laptop and everyone knows who you are, and that's just what writing is. And it wasn't until I finally got the inspiration I needed, kind of four years ago, that made me sit down and and really knuckle down into into the job, into the into the craft of of writing. And and then from there, I think it was just the right time for me personally to 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 venture into it so in that time given that you'd always had your mind on being a writer had you scribbled short stories or or, or anything or was 2013 literally the year that you started to write properly no I'd, I'd always I'd always dabbled I'd always done kind of you know found a words there a thousand words there just um with just ideas just kind of spitballing almost just something that come into my mind and it'd be written down and then it'd be put to one side and it was only probably the 12 to 18 months before I got started properly that I um I started kind of toying with the idea of characters as opposed to stories and I've and I always wanted to create you know the the eponymous hero the new Jack Reacher or whatever um it was important to me even before I started that I wanted the character right and then the story would follow um and I'd, I'd literally pages and pages of all these different types of characters and, and potential settings for them and everything and it was all kind of there just done to pass the time without any real thought to it and then when I finally came to sit down and, and get started I realized I had everything I needed right in front of me already. And then leading up to that um, your bio says that you've had every type of office job that you can think of you've been in insurance <laughs> uh, banking mobile phones telesales now that isn't typically a creative environment or a creating environment so again how how easy is it to be creative when you're in that day-to-day office environment um certainly in the in the last sort of couple of years I, I found it quite easy simply because I really hated what I was doing in the offices instead of doodling I'd sit there and jot notes down of things that I would eventually want to turn into a story um, and it kind of developed from there to the point where the first three years of my writing career pretty much everything I did was done during working hours during the full-time job <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> that's a great way of starting a writing career that's that's a brilliant inspirational idea you need to patent that i think that's great so effectively you bootstrapped your writing career while you were on somebody else's paycheck which is an inspirational way of actually getting your writing career going but did, did you aspire when you were writing was it about writing a book or was it about digging away out of work um, initially, it was the escapism. Um, it was, I mean, I would literally, I, I, I started a new job and within two months, I realized I could do an entire day's worth of work within 90 minutes. So instead of being proactive and asking for more work, I sat there for five hours playing on the internet and it was driving me insane. And 
when I got this, I finally got this inspiration to sit down and think, right, I can write a book. It was literally about something to do during the day. Um, and the, those, I think it took me about nine weeks and that was the best two and a bit months of my life in work because that was all I did. I was living in this completely different world while I was there and it was fantastic. And it was probably towards the end of the first year of me doing that when I really got the bug for it, when it became less about killing time and escaping and more about actually this could be something I can turn into a career. That was when it, the, the penny kind of dropped in terms of the business side of things really tickled me that you do this at work it's so funny so <laughs> funny that you can you can do a working day and still write a book uh, i've never had that on this podcast so uh, that is unique congratulations Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant absolutely inspired so um with the first book a lot of writers say oh, I, you know i wrote the first one and it was completely rubbish how was your first take at a book uh yeah no it was absolutely terrible i'm not gonna lie to you um i my my first book in the series is at the moment in its third incarnation. Um, I've from the day that I finished writing it to today, it's had uh, three different titles, and it's had three different covers, and it's had three different attempts at branding and and publishing. Obviously, this one's the one that I got right, but but yeah, it was. I found that the first book was something I always went back to. The more that I learned about the business, and the more that I learned about the craft more I realised that I could do a better job at the beginning of the series. And it took me quite a while to draw a line under it and say, right, do you know what? It is what it is. I can't keep going back and redoing things, which I think is a bit of a, a trap in the authors to fall into sometimes simply because it's so easy to do. Um, but, yeah, certainly that the first or the kind of the six months into my second year was spent rewriting and, and rebranding uh, the first book over and over again until I got to the point where I thought that's actually what it should be. That that's what it deserves to be now. But yeah, the first attempt was god awful. I'm not going to lie. And that was True Conviction, your, your first thriller. Yeah. So the first book was True Conviction. Um, bit of an exclusive for you for the podcast. The original title of that book was called Paradise Burns, um, which was universally condemned as uh, by everyone who read it as being completely terrible. Um, I then changed it to a book, uh, to a title called Crucible, um, and it stayed like that for about a year. And then when everything kind of slotted into place uh, in, with my career, it became what it is now, which is to conviction. So, yeah. And what about the cover then? If, if this first iteration, and, and I like to call it iteration because I think that's helpful for new authors, in that just because you wrote it and it didn't work the first time doesn't mean you can't change it, as, as you have done for three times now, and make the thing Absolutely. work. So presumably, did it have a lousy cover on first time? Did, what did you do for the cover? Yeah, so originally, um, uh, and this, this might be something we get to touch on later on in the interview, but the first version of the book was actually done using what I now know was a publisher um, at the time it wasn't something i was aware of and obviously the pitfalls of using those kind of services are, are well known but i used a vanity publisher and they did the cover they did the editing i, I used the phrase editing loosely um but it was yeah it, it was something they put together and it wasn't particularly good um my first version of the cover was done on a shoestring budget it was done using somebody on fiverr um and it was okay for what it was it was five dollars you know you get what you do get what you pay for but it did the job and it didn't look amateurish which was important to me um obviously as things progress and your operating budget increases you're able to put you know to get them up or finish to every aspect of your book which is where i'm up to now but it's certainly possible to put out a professional looking thing on a uh, product on a shoestring budget and that's that's what i had to do at the start and with the vanity publishing model, I mean, presumably you were in for quite a few hundred pounds, maybe even over a thousand with that. Yeah. So um, the deal was basically I had this, I had this, the book in its first um, incarnation and and I, I found this guy online and it was basically it was 400 pound up front and they would do the front cover. Uh, he said he would edit it, uh, format it, do all the bit and and then publish it for me in return for 50% of the royalties. Um, now, at the time, all I could see was somebody was publishing my book, so I 
I class that as a personal success. Um, it was only after it was published when reviews started coming in and they were universally critical of the editing of the formatting. And I had to get in touch with the guy and say, look, I know as an author, you have to develop somewhat of a thick skin in terms of negative reviews, but come on, this, you know, there's a bit of a pattern here. Um, and that was where he basically confessed that, you know, there wasn't really much of an editing job done because that would have been thousands of pounds extra. Um, and he, it was essentially a hash job. So I, I took control of it then and I, I made sure that I retained the rights to it and I took it off sale. I, and that was what spurred me to learn how to do it all myself. Because um, my thought was, well, he's just a guy doing this for the people if he figured out how to do it why can't i save myself the 400 pounds so and that's what i did and in 2013 and when you wrote your book were you always going to self-publish it or, uh, or had you got some interest in traditional publishing at that stage um it it wasn't really until i finished writing it that i i started thinking about that it was more as i said it was more just for the escapism and and the, the rush of doing it once i'd finished it uh, and that kind of that sense of awe had, had worn off or it's like oh my god this is what i've got now I've, I've produced this book this is incredible i then thought what can i do with it and naturally i did i looked online looked at literary agents i thought i'll i'll email jk rowling's agent i'll email jack reach's uh, lee child's agent and i went through probably about 25 30 people who you know all came back and and to be fair most of them did re- reply um they, i mean they all said no but uh, but yeah, I mean, I tried that route because initially that was my only interpretation of the business. I thought that was all you could do. Um, and it wasn't until sort of like the independent publishing side of things I, I, I discovered that and, and started looking into it that I thought, well, I'll just do it myself. Why not? See how it goes. And I'm taking it that as you spent so much of your life working in an office, you use Microsoft Word to write the uh, the book with. I'm guessing a new way yes, around that. Pretty yes, well. I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good with Microsoft Word. The hard part was when I used to write the books on like in the company office because the copy of the Word document was registered to the company, and Ooh. I'm really careful that if I I had to make sure I didn't publish it on that version of the document because then I wouldn't essentially own the rights to it. So that was uh, that was a bit of a minefield, but. But yeah, obviously, I bought myself a, my own copy of Microsoft Office. I think that was my first big uh, purchase as a writer was my own version of Microsoft Office, just so I could do it at home. And you're still writing in Microsoft Office. You haven't been uh, tempted by Scrivener or anything like that yet. Um, I was tempted simply because I I saw it on offer and everybody raves about it. And I had a go and I thought, it's going to take me three months to figure this out. And I could have written a book by then. Mm. So I've just never bothered, to be honest. I, I understand sort of how it works, and I'm, I'm sure it's brilliant for a lot of people. But for me personally, it doesn't work. It's just not suited to my my style. I prefer to just spew things out to a Word document and then go from there. Yeah, I think if you do know Word well, then, then there's nothing wrong with Word at all. But uh, somebody like me struggles with margins, you know, and all the indents and things like that, and it drives me spare. So so I, I use Scrivener. But if you, I think if you know Word, I think it's no problem at all, is it? It's fine as a tool. No, it, it's, yeah, it's absolutely fine. I mean, the, the uploading process with um, Amazon's KDP dashboard as well means as long as you have something like, you know, caliber free software like caliber where you can just you can put your word document in you can you can turn out a basic mobi file or an epub file within a few minutes and it's more than good enough to put out there and you know not worry about um i mean i i personally now i get things professionally formatted but it's that i think word documents are a very easy user-friendly way of starting off with your story and it allows you to do a lot of things with it. So it, like I say, it works for me. Yeah. And absolutely. I think the other thing, the other point you made there is you're absolutely right that if a, a piece of software like Scrivener were to influence your workflow so drastically that it would stop you doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is writing, you should stick with what you've got. I think that's actually a really good point there. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's, there's loads of things that are really good. I mean, people who are um, kind of fluent for want of a better word in photoshop save themselves hundreds of thousands of pounds on covers but how long did it take them to they normally they use photoshop before they started writing so they already had that knowledge 
I'm not personally someone who's very good at picking up new things. So when it comes to a piece of software, I'd need to spend a lot of time before it became second nature to me. And that's not time that I, I want to set aside nowadays when I know that I can be doing something more, more productive. So yeah, definitely. If you've got something that works, you know, it's the old saying, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now with true conviction, um, I'm assuming that you were writing, you were writing still while you were fixing that. Is that, is that right? You were iterating that one while you were writing the next ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I, I mean, I started work on the second book in the series before I even published the first one. It, it just straight into it. Um, perfectly natural thing for me to do. Um, and obviously by that time I'd, I'd got the bug. So that was it. That was just what I was doing. Um, and pretty much up until the fourth book in the series, every time I finished a book, I'd go back and I'd start again with the series just to bring it up to up to scratch because my latest book was always my best. Um, it normally took me about six months to to finish a book completely and I was always improving. I was always learning. I was always trying to get better at the the, the craft of writing and also the business of publishing. So every time I put a book out, it was more improved than what I'd done before that I felt that I had to go back and bring everything else up to scratch nowadays not so much you know I'm, I'm fairly kind of confident with my with my abilities that I don't need to do that but true conviction was revisited so many times before I was happy with it and I'm sick of the sight of the damn thing now because mm. I've read it too many times and where were you going then to learn about writing craft and improving were there did you have some go-to places books podcasts that you were going to yeah I mean I'm, I, I did I spent a lot of time online um a lot of time on the internet because that was one of the first things that I learned, one of the first things I suppose I taught myself was that there is an absolute wealth of knowledge available online if if you're prepared to dig deep and look for it. Um, I found Joanne was one of my first big discoveries as a, as a new indie author and her podcast and her kind of business model. And then um, it wasn't long before a friend of mine put me me onto Nick Stevenson and his kind of 10k readers course and that that changed the game for me completely because that simplified the entire business for me and if it wasn't for that I wouldn't be where I am now I, I, you know I, I say that in every interview that I do I owe the guy a lot because he he doesn't do it for you but he shows you where to go to do things he says right these are the things that you're going to need to do here are the places you can go to look for them there are more places but this is a good way to start and that's what kind of got me the bug for the for the business side of it for the publishing side of it was learning it all because it was fascinating the amount of things that uh, you know available to us as authors the amount of tools you other people you know there's so many indie authors i like to think myself included who are more than happy to lend a helping hand to someone who's kind of new into the business and, and needs a bit of direction um the it's just a, a plethora of resources online, um, and you just kind of pick and choose what works for you, really, and and give it a whirl. Yeah, when I look at your row of books on Amazon, uh, one of Nick Stevenson's big things is having a reader magnet. I don't immediately see um, a free reader magnet there. How are you set up for that? No, so I kind of, I, I suppose I kind of roll with, roll with the punches in terms of what works in the industry. Now, when back in 2013, 2014, I had the first book for free, um, which is obviously a very popular kind of method of doing that. You put your first book for free, you, people take a chance on a free book, and then hopefully they'll like it enough to buy the rest of it. And it worked really well. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a, a book bub deal on my on True Conviction when it was free, and it went to the number one free book in the world, and it really gave me a boost. But then after a couple of years, the whole f first book free model kind of stopped working um it wasn't shifting anywhere near as it many as it used to do in the day a lot more people were doing it which meant the market was just getting flooded with free books and then all of a sudden it was like well i need to find something else that works now um so then i moved on to the 99 99p 99 cent model where you give it a discounted price and you assume that people are more likely to take a, a chance on it still but it's probably a better quality of reader in that they're not just looking for a freebie they're still willing to invest just not as much at first um and that works for a time um whereas now what i 
my my kind of hook, my magnet is very much geared around the mailing list. And I say, I've written two short stories that aren't on sale anywhere. They're exclusive purely for people who sign up. And I plaster that on my website and I plaster it in the front and back of my books. And I say, if you join up, I'll give you something that nobody else is going to have for free as a thank you. But, you know, these are my books. This is my series. If you want it, it is chargeable. But I'll give you other stuff besides my books as a as a kind of an incentive. And that's been what working very well for me the last kind of 12 18 months brilliant okay so uh, i'm interested that you say that free isn't working now the other thing that i picked up the other day uh, you, you and i met at uh, an amazon event in manchester i was at another one in edinburgh and one of the authors yep. there was talking about reads uh, if you go um, exclusive with amazon is that something that you've seen um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of all in, as they say, with Amazon. Um, I was from the get-go, and I did that uh, simply for ease. And I've, especially now, I think it was July last year when they introduced the um, Kindle Page Reads kind of payment scheme. And I mean, I, I, at this stage, I would I wouldn't personally go wide simply because half my royalties come from the pages that are read on the Kindle. Um, but I have found that that is a great selling point because when you are marketing you can say look my books are three pound a piece or they're free if you have kindle unlimited and it's almost encouraging them to do that because i would get more money from them reading the book and me being paid per page than i would from the initial sale so it works for me and and yeah i think the way amazon's kind of mythical algorithms work is it contributes as much as a sale to the overall visibility of your books so it gets you that organic visibility i think a lot faster than it would do without have you ever tried putting your books wide uh, or you know even for a small experiment with one book or is it literally you've always been all in with amazon from the start um i've done it i've done it as an experiment once yeah um with a new release and and to be honest it absolutely tanked um because i've spent at the time, I'd spent two and a half, almost three years building my audience on Amazon. I didn't have an audience anywhere else. Uh, and I think I gave it about a month, and I sold maybe six or seven copies on five platforms. Um, it just didn't work. So, as soon as I put it back on Amazon, put it in the in the KDP Select, it was selling 20, 30 copies a day um, with very little marketing. It's just it just works better and i think it works it works better the more established you are in that scheme as well and can i just ask you how you deliver your exclusive uh, short stories what do you use to deliver those so that you don't get a load of people saying i can't access it i can't get it on my kindle have you got a delivery platform for that um yeah i use a uh, book funnel um which is very very straightforward really cheap as well it's only about i think it's ten dollars a month um for i think it's up to three thousand kind of deliveries which is more than more than what i have um but yeah it's very straightforward and the good thing is all the the kind of the instructions and things it's all done it's all built into the platform so you just give them the link and the rest of it's up to them and if they struggle they get to go to the help screen through book funnel and before i discovered that that tool um, I was doing it manually and I had a lot of emails with people struggling and I found that hours of my day was taken just replying to emails telling people how to load a, a Mobi file onto a Kindle device and I thought there's got to be a better way than this <laughs> there's got to be an easier way of managing this and after a little bit of digging I discovered BookFunnel I then discovered that everybody in the world knew about it and I was just late <laughs> to the party but, but um but yeah, but that it works an absolute treat. It's it saved me that ten dollars a month has saved me four or five hours a week probably of just responding to emails, telling people how to use their Kindle. Um, so it's been an absolute godsend. I, I wouldn't I'd be lost without it, quite honestly. And everybody listening to this, I'm just going to tell you, I, I use BookFunnel too. It is a pain when people can't download those files so <laughs> take take the tip of the hint um the other alternative of course is instafree but i'm sure i saw someone you've got an instafree page haven't you um yeah i do i do have um an instafree account and i did run a book on there what i essentially did was two freebies that i give away to my mailing list i combined them into one book and had that as my 
Insta Freebie exclusive. So they both kind of did the same job in a slightly different format. Um, but again, I think I think the problem with Insta Freebie was it was really really good in the early days. But because they did so, they did such a good job of advertising their own platform. Again, everybody started using it. And then all of a sudden, it stopped being as effective because everyone was doing it. And then it was just, it kind of led into this uh, kind of revival of this freebie culture with Kindle readers. And it, 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 I think the longer it went on, the, the harder it became to be successful at it. And I know, I know, there's a, I know a few people who still use the platform and what they tend to do is st- stay away from the, the big kind of hundred author giveaway things and they do it between five or six of them just between themselves and they use the platform for that and that tends to be better because it's a little bit more niche you get to control it it's a little bit more targeted but i think in, i think insta freebie was good but i think the the usefulness of that platform is is dwindling with kind of hand in hand with how well the platform's doing i think and you've alluded a couple of times, interestingly, um, to one of my pet subjects, which is the the lower quality of a free reader compared to a paid reader. And I'm I'm actually I've gone yeah. through this pain now. I think you take a hit with reviews in that you know people it's easy come easy go. They're very happy to leave a very scathing review, barely even having read the thing. Um, and and so I, I I've sort of felt that pain. Have, have you had you know similar experiences with that? Um, yeah, I have. I mean, like I say, when when I ran the perma free model, it, I mean, I can't complain about it. It worked really well. It, it, I, I did it kind of at the right time, I think, and I got a big boost from it. But the more it went on, like I remember there was, I remember receiving one email because what I used to do was give the first book away anyway is perma free and then the second book in the series was the reader magnet so i'd give it away for free if you signed up so i was essentially giving away the first two books in my series and then asking them to buy three and four and what tended to happen was people would email me and say well i really want to read your third book but can you not just send it me like you did the other two and it's like well no believe it or not (laughs) i actually want you to spend money at some point but nobody was because they were expecting things for free and again that kind of like the lost leader they call it don't they and that works but i think it works in moderation and i think you've got to be smart when you implement it you can't just go all out and just give everybody the world and then expect them to pay further down the line i think you've got to be careful with it and you've got to use it strategically every now and then i'll do a a couple of free days here and there but for the most part i don't give away things i want to charge for i will, will happily take the time out of my day to come up with exclusive content to give them so that they're more likely to spend money on the actual products. And I think those kind of readers have more um, kind of life, they have more longevity in terms of their support for the author as well. I think as soon as you stop giving things away for free, all all the people who got your first book as a perma-free will just walk away. Um, They're more likely to invest if you ask i suppose if you ask them for the money up front but you're or, but you're nice about it you're smart about it you still give them an incentive to invest in you and that's what it's all about it's about nurturing that audience a week or two ago i actually had somebody basically asking me to give him all of his books and then calling me you know a capitalist um, and just out for the money <laughs> because i dare to charge for the things that took me like a year to write <laughs> so it's yeah. just unbelievable <laughs> produce and then someone argues because you, you're asking for two pound for them to read it it's like come on guys <laughs> but i i think it, it is an important point because um in many ways authors of their own volition have have devalued the work that they do by by giving it away for free and and you've you've trained yeah. a certain section of the audience to just think well it's something something for nothing and that you know actually you don't have bills to pay you don't have a family to look after you almost no right to charge for your for your work, which is unbelievable. You know, I think my answer would always be, do you work for free? Um, you know, because they it negates the work that goes into writing a book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, like I say, it's about finding that balance. It's about finding the line. I mean, you, you look at the more, like your traditional publishers now, um, I mean, like Lee Child, the other day on Amazon, um, the f- first book in his series, I saw it for like two ninety nine, and then the rest of the series was five ninety nine. So we, even they kind of go for that, you know, come and try this, see what you think kind of model. 
but they don't give anything away. Um, you know, they still want you to commit. And if you are willing to commit financially at any level, the chances are, if you like it, you'll be more than happy to commit financially throughout the series and hopefully following that author and becoming a, a fan of theirs. Yeah, and the, tr- and the truth is that paying customers are always, always, always better customers. But when you are starting out on day one from scratch, um, you know, actually, you just want to shift books and you're fairly desperate to get any level of activity. I think that's the the tension that there always is in, in self-publishing. You know, you can either sell nothing or, or you've got to get some activity going in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it is, it's about finding the balance because... Because, I mean, as you said, I mean, you said it right when you're first starting out and you've got a book and you want to get out there, you feel desperate. You feel like you have to get it out there. And one piece of advice I would give for any new author is don't be desperate. You don't need to be desperate. It's not a sprint. You know, you're not going to make thousands and thousands overnight. Take your time and do it properly. Don't publish your book until you have a, a platform set up, until you have a plan to bring readers in gradually build on it build it up um i know one person and she's driving herself insane because she's got two books written but she refuses to publish them until she's got three ready to go and then she can lead one into the other and she actually has that set up and i couldn't do it more more by more of credit to her but i think that's a very good way of doing things start until you're ready to build on it i think having having that business model in mind having that mindset of getting the platform there to to bring readers into because that, that's the thing as well it's all well and good getting your book out there as quickly as possible but what are you going to do with all the people that buy it or download it you know you you need to be ready to go back to that audience and say i'm glad you like this and try this you need to always have something for them um so it's definitely worth being patient and being smart about it when did you start to see interesting things happen with your sales was it the book bub that did it that really fired things for you um, yeah in terms of in terms of physical royalties yeah i mean the, the book bub made a massive difference because the, the tail of it so to speak you know it generated sort of two three four times worth of sales for about six weeks which was fantastic um but the thing that the thing that got me the book bub for me was very much the the Nick Stevenson thing, the setting up the platform. I, it kind of, it didn't happen overnight, but over the course of a few weeks, I suppose, I I started to look at it differently. I started to look at it as a business and I started to think, right, I need to gather email addresses now. I need to start building my audience. I need to send them somewhere. I need to have content for them. And I started to build on that and turn it into a brand. And that was when I started to see the change, when I started to think about the visibility and how I can how I can get the best out of what I'm doing for whilst keeping the costs low. And then that led to me getting the book bub, which for me boosted me onto you know a completely different level at the time. Can I just dig into then what specifically that you did that that changed things? What what were those things that you had to do to move the needle? Um, so for me, it, it started. It started small, I suppose. So it started with things like looking at your product descriptions on on Amazon and looking at your keywords, and they were all things that at the time I didn't really understand the significance of. I just thought I need to tell somebody about my book, and keywords are just kind of well, it's a book, it's a thriller, that kind of thing, and I didn't realise the importance of those and what you. You can achieve if you use them correctly and it was just subtle changes like that that all of a sudden um like the 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 product description just ha- having the same kind of format in the description for every single one it adds to brand awareness it makes it look professional and ha- being able to put in your your keywords and adds it adds to your visibility and then all of a sudden my books were showing up in the also bots and the recommended things and that was when amazon started working for me their algorithm started making my book a bit more visible that took a little bit of pressure off and it all kind of i suppose it snowballed from there really and it 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 took off of its own accord um it's just knowing where to start it's knowing to give it those sort of little nudges like with things like your keywords 
Your book cover branding is amazing. I mean, you, the quality of your covers now, I know this wasn't always the case, but the quality of your covers now is is superb. And you can just tell, you know, everything is positioned consistently. Your writer name is positioned consistently. Your fonts um, and the style of the covers, you know, the whole thing is extremely strongly branded. How how long did it take you until you could work up to that? Because those covers cost you a bob or two, I, I think, didn't they? Okay, so I'll let you into a secret. The same guy, the guy that does my covers, is the same guy that did them for five dollars. No, um, it's the same guy. Uh, he on Fiverr, he has two versions of what he offers. He has the five dollar version, and he has the seventy dollar version. And mine are the seventy dollar versions. They're not expensive. Um, the thing that's important is that you don't have to spend loads of money if you have a rough idea of what you want. Now. Some people will just say, you know, look, that this is what my book's about. Go and do me a cover, and you leave it to the designer, and they'll come up with all these fancy images and like composite shadowing and all that kind of stuff, and they'll charge you through the nose for it, which is fine. And I'm not saying it won't look good. But what I'm saying is, I went to this guy and said, look, this is what I want. I want all my covers to have the same layout because I want someone to see one of them, any one of them and know that it's my book and know that it's my series. So this is how I want it laid out. This is the image I want. Can you just kind of make it look pretty? Because I can't, you know, I can't mess paint, therefore I can't do it. Um, And I give him a rough idea of what kind of image I want. I tell him where everything I want, and he puts it together for me. Um, And like $70, they're not expensive, but they do the job and they work well because it, Again, it's that business mindset. It's just a little bit of thought going into your branding. If you can come up with that, all you need is someone to put it, kind of to put it down on the screen. That's for me. That's the hard part. It's the creating it. I can think it up. I just can't physically make the image, and that, that's all my cover guy does for me. Are you prepared to share that that cover designer with us? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a guy called Jimmy Gibbs. His name is. Um, if you, I think the email, the website address is fiverr.com forward slash Jimmy Gibbs. Um, and like I say, he's absolutely brilliant. I've used him. I've used him for four years. Um, I've got a great relationship with the guy. I'm not on commission for him or anything like that. I'm, I'm just very, um, I swear, you know, I stand by his work. He's fantastic. Jimmy Gibbs is getting a visit from Paul Teague because uh, you're. Uh, <laughs> the, tell, tell him James sent <laughs> you. The, the reason I say that is because when I look at your covers, and I know I know this is where you position yourself. I see Matt Hilton, I see Mark Dawson, and I see Lee Child, which I know is exactly what what you want me to say because that's where you're positioning um, yeah. your books. But I'm also seeing the same quality of cover. Then, if you're getting those at seventy dollars, that's blooming good. That is, they're very good covers. Yeah. And that's that. Bearing in mind that seventy dollars for the Kindle for a three D mock up and for the um, the paperback wrap around cover. Wow. So all three of them. That is so. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's doing. He's selling himself short, but I'm not going to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no I'm, I'm stunned at that. Actually, that's that's one of the benefits of doing this podcast. You see, is that I'll cut that bit out about the the, the five <laughs> and keep it all to myself. No, no, no I'll, I'll share it. But um, no, right. That's well, that's really interesting. If I can just say that with things like Fiverr, I mean, it gets a bit of a bad rep, that website, because there's an awful lot of trash on there. And there is. But as with anything else, it's like books that are free on the Kindle. There's probably an awful lot of poor quality stuff. But if you're prepared to have a look around, you will find some absolute diamonds in there. Some really good sites for, or really good people for cover design or for editing or for promotion it's well worth investing a bit of time just having a look on there because you'll find some really good people. Yeah, I agree. I say to people, look, you've only ventured a fiver. Don't screw these contractors into the ground. Uh, treat treat the fiver as a, as a taster. But if you find, and I like you, I've been using it for years, and I found some really great people on it that I come back to time and time again. When you find those gold nuggets um in them there are hills it, they're worth hanging on to and i always tip as well you know to make sure that i get a great deal and they always want to work with me because um they're worth a lot a great contract is worth a lot no absolutely absolutely and like i mean this is you know this interview is a prime example i don't hesitate in putting that guy's name out there i will stand by him and say he's worth out you know and i've he's had probably a fair bit of work come from word of mouth from myself but it's, it's the least I 
What about your editing? Do you do you go to Fiverr for editing, or have you got um, somebody else that you use for that? I don't. I don't use Fiverr for editing. I did have another editor. Um, now I must admit, I've uh, I had a bit of an issue with the editing. Um, it was this guy is actually somebody who contacted me, and they said, "Look, I've read your book. Um, I don't think it's well edited. Here is your first chapter re-edited by me. See what you think." And I was like, "Yeah, that's." Fair enough, you know, can't argue with the with the approach. I've since kind of parted ways in terms of using them as my service. Um, and I'm actually in the market for, for a new editor at the moment, so I am looking. Um, but I would say that's probably the only thing I wouldn't want to screw on, that I wouldn't want to save on. I would happily spend that little bit more on the editing side of it because... I mean, you know, you can make it look great on the budget and you can make it kind of look great on the screen for kind of formatting on a on a reasonable budget, but you can't make a book edited be edited well on the budget. You get pay for and it's well worth putting that an extra an extra few pounds into the editing, definitely. Now your first book, uh, True Conviction, I think has been downloaded about two hundred and fifty thousand times now. Is that right? Is that a current figure? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's probably closer to three hundred thousand at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's been downloaded a hell of a lot. Now, I mean, probably half of them were were free downloads. Um, but on the back of that, when I put it up to ninety nine p, and when I put it up to full price, the sales didn't really stop. Um, so I was quite fortunate in that respect. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been my most my most visible book in the series. So I've got to ask you then, uh, with, with the books that you're selling, and you've got a number of reviews too that would make a lot of us envious, 267 <laughs> in the UK on True Conviction. And those yeah. are, they're, I mean, it must be 4.7, 4.8 average. It's a good average. It's um, it, uh, yeah, 4, 4.3 average, which is fantastic for that number of reviews. Um, yeah. So have you been able to give up the day job in the office yet? Um, yeah, I have. So last, last June, actually, it's, it's been just over a year since I went full-time um with with the writing and it's been it's been the most amazing and also the most terrifying year of my life um sort of relying on on the book income i suppose to to pay the bills and things but but yeah i'm i'm incredibly fortunate that i can say that i do this for a living now so and and it is going steady because i I know when i went self-employed um six or seven years ago i was terrified at first when you lose that regular income it's absolutely um, terrifying yeah. panic attacks and things like that but uh, it's, it, i got more confident over the, over the years because you know you just get better at knowing how to make money if you need it and um and i, I wasn't doing mine by writing i was doing it you know through through other means a variety of means are you are you in that zone just yet where you kind of trust the process um i'm getting there definitely um it's still i mean the, i suppose the the good or bad thing about this industry depending on your point of view is that it's always changing and there's always something that you could take time out of your day to learn and and certainly being self-employed I mean I've, I've never been self-employed before so I had all all that kind of minefield to deal with as well and there were ups and downs um certainly one thing I didn't realize was because the bulk of my advertising is done on Facebook and when I went full-time in June um, I suddenly, I, I kind of struck gold with an advert and a product and I, I started earning three or four times in a month while I was earning full time. So it was fantastic. But then what I didn't realize was in November and December, you, you basically can't advertise on Facebook because the entire world is advertising on Facebook, all your big companies, because it's all coming up to Christmas. So all of a sudden, my clicks and my impressions were halved, my cost per click was doubled and my set- Sales had like fell by about forty percent, so I'm sat there, head in my hands for two months, wondering what the hell's going on because I didn't realise that there's always a natural kind of dip over Christmas. Um, so that again, that was that was a big learning curve, um, very much a, a jump in the deep end and see what happens. But but other than that, yeah, it has been relatively steady, and I I do commit a lot of time to making sure that's it stays that way. When you did the Facebook ads, did you use the Mark Dawson approach, or did you figure it out yourself? Um, yeah, I, no, I did. I, I used the I used the Mark Dawson approach. Um, well, it was two years ago. I at my first London book fair, I I met Mark, and sort of we, we had a bit of a chat. And he, you know, he, it was brilliant. He took a bit of time to sort of sit with me and, and give me a few pointers. And that was in the May. No, sorry, that was in the April. And then and the course opened up in the June. Um, so I was straight on the course and yeah, within, within two or three weeks, I'd earned 
back the cost of the course. Um, it was it, it worked really well, and I had a lot of help from the other students on there as well. Um, and and yeah, like I say, probably ninety percent of my income is derived from Facebook adverts. It's still working for you, is it? Yeah, it's still working. I mean, it's it's not it's not working as well as it did two years ago. But then everyone doesn't now, thanks to Mark. So again, the more people that do stuff, the the less effective it becomes. But um, I mean, people. We'll probably, people who are just starting to dabble with Amazon's marketing platform will probably find in two years' time it's not as good as it is now. Um, but that's not to say that you can't make it work. Um, it just takes to a lot of trial and error um, and you know just a bit of time and a bit of thought. But it's, but it's worth investing in the non-writing part of the business. The advertising is obviously it's the bread and, butter, bread and butter of what we do and it's well worth taking the time to invest in figuring that out and making sure that's working and i would happily take a day out of writing completely to make sure that all that works because without that we don't sell books it's that simple i do want to ask you about this idea of, of writing the same character in the book so your character is is adrian hell you, yeah you, uh, so the advantage of that of course is that you don't have to come up with a new character every time or a new world but um, I've always wondered, because I, I, I've shied away from this, and I, I've always wondered whether it's an albatross, it becomes an albatross, you know, writing a Jack Reacher, um, you know, or, or an Adrian Hell. How, how do you find that? What's your thinking around that? Um, I'm, I'm probably a bit of a crossroads, to be honest, because, I mean, I've done seven books with him now, and, and you know, and I love him, and it's what got me here, and I will forever love that character in that series. Um, I don't have a problem writing that character, but... Four years into this, I'm starting to get to the stage where I want to grow a bit more and I want to try new things, not because I don't like what I'm already doing, but because, you know, I want to give it a whirl. I want to try writing a book that's in the third person. I want to try writing a different genre. I I just want to spread my wings creatively, I suppose, but I'm still at the stage where I can't quite just forget what got me here and try something new because if it doesn't work, that's a lot of time and a lot of money invested to to no end. So... As much as as much as I do want, want to try other things, I'm aware that I'm still at this stage in my career. I have to stick with what works. I have to stick with what kind of brought me to the table. So I don't have a pr- problem doing the same thing. It's still it's still fresh and new to me. So I know that it's going to be fresh and new to the people that are reading it, and that's what's important, I suppose. Now, you are a member of the Crime Writers Association. I seem to remember having a look at that a couple of weeks ago, and I think there are certain criteria that apply to, to being a member of that. Whatever it was, I didn't meet them. So so, so uh, what, what do you have to do to be a member of the Crime Writers Association? Um, I think you, you basically have to have uh, a book traditionally published. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, when, when I joined, or when I requested to join at the time, uh, my, my fifth book, A Necessary Kill, had actually won the Kindle Scout competition through Amazon. Um, And as a result, it was traditionally published through Kindle Press. Um, So I did qualify. Um, Now, I've actually since had the rights reverted back to me at my request. So I'm technically not like traditionally published at all at the moment. Um, So don't tell them because they might revoke my membership. (laughs) Okay, now there's a lot of interest in what you just said there, because number one, I want to ask about Kindle Scout, but then number two, I'm going to ask about why you came back from Kindle Scout because you would think that it's what everybody wants. Now, so let's, let's talk about the, the beginning first, the Kindle Scout. So you, you put a book in Kindle Scout. How, um, how did you get some impetus with that? Because, again, I recently did one. I didn't do anything with it. I just flopped it out and saw what happened. But, but how did you get a win with that? Um, so, uh, to be honest, the, the win came probably from a bit of a fluke more than anything, simply because it, it, it's a really good idea. Right, Kindle Scout is a fantastic idea for new authors with a new book. Specifically, a first book in the series would be ideal, um, and it's very much about building an, an an online social media profile to encourage people to kind of vote for your book. Um, now, essentially, it, I suppose, as a, if you're being cynical, you could say it's nothing more than a glorified popularity contest, which I suppose it is because it. If nobody nominated your book, it doesn't matter how good it was, it wouldn't it wouldn't win. Um, now, but that said, if everybody got nominated, you know, if everybody had thousands of nominations, it would come down to who who had the best book. Um, now, I was quite fortunate in that um, I again I discovered Kate 
Um, while I was doing my Kindle Scout nomination process. And I thought, oh, my God, what an amazing find this is. Oh, wait, the entire world already knows about it, and it's just me that's late to the party yet again. Um, but Kboards was a fantastic community um, for the Kindle Scout thing. They had um, kind of a forum post dedicated to it, and everybody kind of helped everybody else and got nominations. And I ended up, um, they have like this hot and trending category and it kind of measures how long you're in it for from the month and i was essentially in it for well pretty much all month um which helped with the visibility um and i had i think just over three thousand nominations so when i when i won it was you know it was purely down to the strength of how well the book performed which was which was fantastic um and i'm really really glad that i did it it opened up a lot of doors for me at the time um and i made a lot of new contacts uh through through the uh through the whole process as well which was it was really really good um i think well in fact when the book went live with kindle press um it it was pre-ordered for about two weeks and then when it went on sale um it actually hit number one in the kindle store in about four countries um which was incredible because i mean i i say i'm an international best-selling author i'd make sure that's plastered all over my covers um and that's why i might have been it might have been for six hours but for those six hours i was the number one book in the world so you know that's amazing is that was probably the highlight of my writing career um doing that and i do owe it to the kindle scout process there has to be a but here though because you took it out so so, <laughs> so why was that and congratulations yeah, so, by the way so i don't no, congratulations that is amazing before we all get to the but i must congratulate you yeah, no, thank you. It was, I mean, yeah, it, it was fantastic. Um, the problem that I had was that after 12 months, it was very hard for Kindle Press to market the fifth book in the series because I had, I owned the rights to the first four and the sixth. So I, I struggled to market it. Um, and by this point, I'd actually, my my kind of golden nugget, my thing that, changed my life was the box set that i made of books one two and three in the series i put that out at five pound 99 started advertising it and then i was able to quit work um so I, naturally i wanted to do that again with four five and six except i couldn't because i didn't own book five um so i got in touch with kindle press after much um i, I think it took me about 12 months to get in touch with them to be quite, quite honest but i spoke to them and they said look I know that I'm not contractually speaking. There's no reason for you to revert the right back to me. Um, but this, these are the reasons why I, I want to do it because I could probably get more out of it marketing it myself than you guys do. Cause you don't do an awful lot, um, which is understandable, but I can probably do more with that book on my own. And the 30% Amazon I get from me doing it is more than the 50% you get anyway. Um, so unless you want to work with me, would you mind, very kindly please just give me the rights back and they went yeah okay no problem and just legally gave me the rights back two weeks later and i was like yeah that's really nice of them thank you very much um and and that and that worked out better for me because first of all i was able to republish it and um and market it myself i was able to do a second box set which has worked incredibly well for me um but but yeah and it's not that Kindle Press are bad and it's not that the Kindle Scout campaign isn't worth it. It's just if it's not the first book in the series, there's nowhere really for it to go for them. You know, it's 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 more beneficial for you to market it than it is for them to market it if it's not the first book in the series, which for me, it stopped being relevant. And I've since I retained the rights about three months ago, I've earned more money off that book on my own than I did in the 12 months that they had it so it you know it just goes to show it was it was right for me at the time but as i kind of grew as an author and as my kind of branding and my business grew it it became not the right thing for me but i would definitely encourage new authors and especially new authors starting a new series i would definitely encourage them to start off in that and try and get that initial boost from from amazon because it would work wonders there is an important point there i know i've written um in trilogies 
And one of the things I've realised, very very similar to your experience, is that r- really you sell those trilogies off the first book, or you sell them as box set combinations. But but really, books two and three are redundant in any other way, unless you've accessed book one. You can't do standalones. You can't do promos on them. It, it, they're just redundant books, effectively, in a marketing funnel, unless you box set them, you know, or or unless you sell book one. So um, that that sounds like that's your experience too. It just gives you some extra difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I find that even now, like, I mean, I, I recently released the seventh book in my series um, back in May. And I mean, and the market, I sent it to my mailing list, as as people invariably do. And I actually did a bit of Facebook marketing for about two weeks. Um, but then, then I stopped because there's no point. Because there's no point in me trying to get new people and say, hey, look at this seventh book. They've not read the other six. So they're probably not going to be that interested. So for me, my marketing always gears around the box set for my series that includes one, two, and three. There's no point marketing anything else because you have to read that stuff first. So I'd rather put that in front of people and then rely on the sell-through kind of over time. And it's far more kind of money well spent that way um, for me. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's You start at the beginning and, and work your way forward. And interesting, your, your price point on your box sets is five ninety nine, whereas your, yeah. your standalones are two ninety nine. I mean, you could squeeze another two quid out of those box sets. Why have you settled on five ninety nine on on your pricing? Um, I I mean, I experimented with it and I looked at what, what other people were doing and I looked at the maths as well. And I originally started off at six ninety nine and I didn't sell that many. Um, and I thought, am I just being greedy? Now I knocked it down. To- Five ninety nine, and I sell four times as many books. So it might you might get less per sale, but if you're selling four times more product, then it it works out financially better for you, and obviously it's better for the reader because they. I mean, it's a very it's a very easy sell when you say to somebody you can get four books like for for six pound. That's half the price of buying them all individually. That's a no brainer. You know, it's a really good sell, and it's a nice round number. If you say 50% saving, it, people eat it up, um, and and that's what they go for. And, and again, that's worked well for me. I probably could get more money out of it, but at the risk of less sales. So you you got to look at the financial side of it as well. And I'm assuming that because those are books of four, but they're only they're, they're books one to three of the series, you've put your, your short stories in there as well, have you, to, to bulk it up? Yeah, well, I have, I have two novellas. Um, they're about 30,000 words each, um, put one in with each box set. The short stories that I give away as exclusive content, they're only about 10,000 words. It took me a couple of days to write them. Um, but the, the two novellas that I have that accompany the series, um, they're on sale at, I think, one ninety nine, Um, and I, I include them as well as, as well as the original three, just to, again, just to beef it up a little bit and uh, make it more kind of appetising for a potential reader. The um, the last thing I've got to ask you about is your German translation rights with, with Festivalag in yeah. June 2016. <laughs> how, how did that one come about? Because did they come to you? Um, yeah, so what happened was I was contacted by um, a, a literary scout who uh, kind of moonlighted as a translator. So basically he went to, um, I think it was the Bloody Scotland Festival, um, that year, and he said, you know, look, I read your book, I really like it. Would you mind if I went to this festival and tried to try to sell it to on your behalf? And I thought, well, and I said, well, yeah. I said, what's in it for you? You know, do I have to pay you to do that? And he said, no, because if it actually goes, if somebody actually picks it up, I'm going to get the translation gig, so that'll do for me. You know, it benefits me as well. Would you mind if I put the word out? Um, so, I mean, it was really it was a stroke of luck in that respect. Um, and and he did it, and and he he got in touch with uh, Festival Lagu, um, who were happy to buy the rights. So, I mean, it took about a year to come off from sort of like an initial conversation to the book being published. But but yeah, I mean, that was like I say, it was just fluke, really. Um, but a really good experience. Um, I must admit, it's not really sold that many copies. Um, it it kind of tanked over there. I don't think it translated very well in that. Not that he did a bad job of translating it, but I think that audience just—it's not their kind of book. Uh, um, the it's got very few reviews, and they've not been particularly flattering. But 
I think it's just the fact that it's a very American book and I don't think it appeals to that market. So there's not been any kind of movement on more books in the series, but it's it was a good experience. Um, it's another a feather in the cap, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely open to the idea of, of selling foreign rights in the future, should the opportunity arise. I said that was the last thing I was going to ask you about, but I lied uh, because there was something, <laughs> something else I wanted to ask you about before we finished. Uh, <laughs> and that was that um, you, on your Facebook page, um, you've yeah. just done a book event, your first uh, book event, I think it is. And uh, oh, that's a great oh. photo, by the way. Is it in a library or something? <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, it was. It's actually my local library. Um, the uh, I took my son in there to get a couple of books out. And I got talking to the guy who kind of runs it and just said, like, how do you get your book? How do you source books? Because I thought, you know, I've got all my books in print. Can I get them in there? Um, so anyway, so we, we had a conversation. I actually donated three copies of every book to the library. Um, and he said, I've, they've never been in. He said, they're, they're out all the time. Um, would you want to do some kind of event here? Because I think people would be interested. So I'm like... God, yeah, that'd be incredible. You know, it's he, he, he kind of penned it as like an author of the year thing. Um, but I'm basically the only author around here, so it's, it's kind of a redundant, <laughs> redundant thing. But we don't tell anybody that. We just assume that I'm the best one. Um, but, yeah, so we did it, and it was actually like this time last week. Um, and it, it was such a good experience. I absolutely loved it. And it was, for me, that was very much the culmination of 12 months of doing this on my own and, you know, making a living from it. I actually felt a little bit celebrity doing that, um, and it was it was awesome. You know, it was really good to kind of get out there and meet people who had actually read my books, to have a conversation with them and just have some questions fired at me about like why do you make your character this way or why did you kill that guy and this that, and the other. So, um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Really, really good. Really good. Right, brilliant. You see, I'd, I'd be terrified of no one turning up if I did that. But were, were, were they all readers or were some, you know, just there for the interest of seeing a local author? The fear that no one would show up was definitely there. Um, but uh, but no, they were all they were all readers. They'd all um, read my books kind of through the library. Um, and and they'd all kind of read at least two or three. Uh, so they were familiar with me and familiar with, with the series and the characters. So it made for a really good night because it, they genuinely were interested in the series they were invested in it and they said you know a few people saying oh I'm, I'm just about to read the fifth book so you know don't talk about that one yet and ruin it for me kind of thing um so yeah they were all they're all fans of fans of mine and it was interesting that some of them because I, I i reference lee child a lot in, in it because obviously he's like the pinnacle of that, the genre that i write in and a lot of them actually said to me i've never read a jack reacher book but i love yours and I thought that's really strange because I wouldn't have expected someone who didn't read Lee Child to read something like mine because it's kind of, you know, it's all part and parcel of that that kind of genre, isn't it? But but that's really interesting. People that didn't even like the genre took a chance on my books probably because they knew I was local, but actually it opened them up to that genre and they suddenly became thriller fans. Um, so that was, I mean, that was amazing. That was really, really good. The, uh, the final thing I just want to ask you about is a lot of people, when they start self-publishing, they, they see it in terms of either uh, failing and making nothing or of being a, a multi-millionaire. But what you're quite clearly doing is making a good living out of your self-publishing. Um, and, and I know you're not, you're not in the multi-millionaire just yet, but you're shifting a lot of copies and doing extremely well. I just wonder if you could put some context into that because we don't have to be multi-millionaires to be successful self-publishers, do we? No, absolutely. I think... What if you get to the stage when you, if you're starting out and you've maybe written a book or you're thinking of writing a book and whatever stage you're at, if you've got to that point where you're thinking about it seriously and looking at it for as a potential business venture, what you need to do is, first of all, define what you would class as being successful. Um, for me, it was never multi-million pounds, Tom Cruise and me films, anything like that. It was can I support my family doing something that I enjoy? That was the goal. And luckily 12 months ago, I was able to do, to do just that. Um, and I think in terms of, I suppose in terms of sales figures and financials, it's not an easy genre to, to categorize because there's, there's so many variations of success. I, I, 
I'm fortunate enough to be friends with people like Keith Horton and, and Adam Croft and Mark Dawson. And obviously they are all doing ridiculously well. Um, but they're like, they're the top one, one or two percent of the indie side in the same way that Stephen King and Lee Child are the top one percent of the traditional side. Everybody else is probably making, you know, some people will be making minimum wage. Some people will be making £10 a month and they'll be really, really happy because that's anything to show for what they've done um and it, it's hard sometimes if you do i suppose it's almost natural to measure yourself against your peers in terms of how well you're doing i look at people like like adam and mark and, and joanna and rachel rachel abbott and people and think god i've got a long way to go you know i'm i'm just starting out but then i look at other people and it's like actually i'm i'm probably quite a way on from from the stage that they're at and that's it it helps with perspective i suppose but also i'm at i suppose i'm at the stage where i feel comfortable being able to sit down with somebody just starting out and help them and that's that's one of the most important things that's what i would class for me as a level of success that i'm able to help other people because people like adam croft don't need my help you know i ask him for help all the time he's not going to need my help and you kind of feel like the beginner or the new kid in the class. And then when other people come to you and say, oh, actually, you know, I've read your books, I've seen your journey, like I'm just starting out, can you give me some advice? And I'm like, God, yeah, of course. And I'll happily set aside an hour of my time to email them back and, and offer advice because to me, that's, that's me being a success, being able to pass on what I've learned to somebody else. Um, and like I said, that's where I am at the moment. And for me if it never goes any further than it is now i'm going to retire from writing a very happy man thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with your indie author friends or you can leave a review on itunes stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use in the meantime you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com thanks again for listening We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.